Hello, 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 and welcome back to Netflix, Coffee, and Questioning Humanity. Today's episode will indeed be the season finale, and in honor of that, I wanted to do something a little bit different in this sort of baby episode. Well, who knows? It could be big. I might get to rambling, but I'm going to try and make it concise. I have been seeing so many books that have been picked up for shows and movies, and I wanted to break down some of the most anticipated movies and shows that are coming to streaming. I have four books that I thought were the most interesting to share for one reason or another, and who knows, if you like this series, I can always do it again in the next season. I'm sure I could make multiple episodes on this. Like I said, I'm going to talk about four books. I'll give a summary of the book just in case you're unfamiliar, what we know so far about its production status and where it will be streaming. And if you're new to the podcast, hello. I apologize that you've hit the podcast on its season finale, but you know, I'll be back in a few weeks. There's a crap ton of episodes this season, so you have plenty to catch up on. And before I get into any of the books, of course, there is the coffee part of Netflix Coffee and Questioning Humanity, where I take just a minute and talk about the coffee I'm drinking and to warn you that I have a potty mouth. I know, I know, the intro is so soft and lovely. What do you mean, potty mouth? Yes, yes, yes. After the sirens, the F-bombs come out. And with that being said... Friendly reminder that this is an explicit podcast, which means I may discuss explicit topics while most certainly using explicit language. So little ears, those easily offended, and my mom and dad may want to bow out. Now, on with the show. I have my guilty pleasure, don't ask me about a calorie or a fucking diet or a New Year's resolution drink in hand from the coffee chain Aroma Joe's. I've talked about them many times before. They are elite. They are the top. They are five stars. If you have one near you, do yourself a favor, swing around. You will not be sorry, especially if you like strong coffee and you like the option of a lot of flavors. This right here that I have that you cannot see, but I promise you it's lovely, is the Sticky Bun Frojo. The Frojo itself is comparable to a Stabby's Frap, maybe a Dunkin', uh, what do they call it, Dunkachinos. I'm sorry if you hear any like loud vibrating noises behind me. That sounded, okay, um, not that. I could have used a better way to explain that. There's a helicopter flying very low by my house, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Not, not what it sounded like the first time around. Bad choice of adjective. But I do apologize for the helicopter. Anyway, Frojo. It's like a Frappuccino or uh, I forget what they call them at Dunks, like a Dunkachino, the frozen drinks. But this is wicked caffeinated. Coffee first, flavor second, just like all of their other coffee drinks. I get this instead of a latte now at Aroma Joe's because it's that strong and I really like the texture. It's so fucking good. And the sticky bun flavor is like, if you don't know what a sticky bun is, it's like a cinnamon bun which is possibly my favorite flavor of anything ever. Also, shout out to the Ben and Jerry's fucking cinnamon bun. Delicious. Ugh, now I want Ben and Jerry's. Now I have brain freeze and my hands are twitchy and that is a sure sign to jump into the topics at hand. Let's get into the books. 
The first book is easily the most anticipated film of the year, not even just book-wise, and it will initially be released in theaters, but I'm going to tell you where it will be when it does go to streaming because it is guaranteed to go to streaming. Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. For years, rumors of the Marsh Girl haunted Barkley Cove, a quiet fishing village. Kaya Clark is barefoot and wild, unfit for polite society. So in late 1969, when the popular Chase Andrews is found dead, locals immediately suspect her. Yes, we have a mystery, folks. I'm trying hard not to inject my thoughts and like sound effects into the summary. I'm bottling it all up till after. But Kaya is not what they say. A born naturalist with just one day of school under her belt, she takes life lessons from the land, learning the real ways of the world from the dishonest signals of fireflies. But while she has the skills to live in solitude forever, the time comes when she yearns to be touched and loved. Puberty, folks, it does that to you. All the hormones. It's sadly the human condition. Drawn to two young men from town who are each intrigued by her wild beauty, Kaya opens herself to a new and startling world. Until the unthinkable happens. In Where the Crawdads Sing, Owen juxtaposes an exquisite ode to the natural world against a profound coming-of-age story and haunting mystery. Thought-provoking, wise, and deeply moving, Owen's debut novel reminds us that we are forever shaped by the child within us, while also subject to the beautiful and violent secrets that nature keeps. Now I know, if this isn't up your alley, like, you don't get it. That's fine. I know it sounds really flowery from the description. It sounds very something, you know, wino Sharon would drink in her book club. And it is. It is. But, 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 but I would say maybe possibly this was the best book I read last year. Mm, I don't know because I read Mercury last year too and that is like it was a biography on Freddie Mercury and his life and I obviously am biased towards that because I love Freddie Mercury and I thought it was the most interesting fascinating heartbreaking heartwarming everything that you could feel at once it was but also I'm fully aware that not everybody would have that reaction because they don't feel that way about Freddie like I do. So I think if I had to recommend a book for anybody this would be my number one recommendation for sure. The mystery is absolutely incredible and Delia Owen's writing is so beautiful. I actually think I took it for granted because this book was so fucking long. Like I felt like I would never finish this book. And then by the time I finished, I was like, wow, it was beautiful. It was amazing. It was incredible. And I loved every second of it. But then I moved on to the next book. And I don't remember what that book was, but I do remember every book since has not lived up to the writing. Everything about that book was stunning. However, I don't know if I love this for a movie. I'm sure it will look beautiful. I'm sure every woman over the age of 40 will fucking lose their minds and they'll love it. I think it will draw in the notebook crowd. I think it will become a classic. Yes, I do. But personally, I don't think I'm going to like this as a movie just because it's not it's just not a movie to me. If you get what I'm saying, you get what I'm saying. But I do know that it will be successful. I do know people will love it. So who am I to judge? Also, quick side note about the author, Delia Owens. She's a 70-year-old scientist who has never published a book before this. And she was working on the draft for this for like a decade. Never give up on your dreams, bro. <laughs> that sounded so corny. But seriously, a decade. That is so comforting. 
Also, something kind of scandalous, according to Elle, she and her now former husband Mark had been the subject of both a 1996 ABC documentary and a 2010 New Yorker feature examining their time as conservationalists in Zambia, where they involved themselves in wildlife research and anti-poaching operations. One such mission in 1995 received widespread attention after an unidentified African poacher was tragically shot and killed. Although the Owen Owenses, that's such a weird thing to say, the Owenses. Although the Owenses were reportedly not at the scene of the shooting and they've never been implicated for the murder, some remain suspicious nonetheless. Delia told the Times she was never accused of wrongdoing. She said, quote, I was not involved. There was never a case. There was nothing, unquote. Just a little tidbit of information that I found very interesting. Going back to why I think this movie will be absolutely outrageous and do fantastically well, the reception for the book was unbelievable. It has almost a five-star rating on Goodreads, which if you're on Goodreads, you know that that is not, nope, that doesn't happen. It won British Book of the Year in 2021, has had $11 million in sales so far, was on the New York Times bestseller list for over 124 weeks, and was number one for 32 consecutive weeks. And it was on Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine Book Club, a book club that I am very drawn to, by the way. That's my red flag trait. I follow Reese Witherspoon's book club with a very close eye. Speaking of Reese's PCs, Reese Witherspoon actually acquired the rights to develop the novel with her production company, Hello Sunshine. That's how much she loves this book. The film is also backed by 3000 Pictures, which is a division of the Big Daddy Sony. So it's got some monies behind it. And if you don't think Reese Witherspoon is the big deal uh, as far as production goes, think again. Another interesting thing I found that I did not know, her production company put out Big Little Lies, Wild, Gone Girl, and Little Fires Everywhere. So she's no chump. Where the Crawdads Sing wrapped up filming in New Orleans last July and is currently in post-production. You're probably wondering why this is on the list for books that are being turned into TV or films going to streaming, because this is going to be a theatrical release. Well, 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 if you remember that I said that this is backed by Big Daddy Sony, that is important information because Netflix and Sony made a deal which grants the streamer exclusive licensing rights to the company's new theatrical releases for an 18-month window. So Crawdads will end up on Netflix, and I thought that was important to note. And it counts, okay? It counts. It will come to streaming at some point. It is expected to hit theaters on July 22nd of this year and is going to be a massive release. Major fucking cash cow. You have no idea the crowds this will draw. People who don't even usually go to the movies are going to go to see this. This has a cult following. You will see. And it's going to be absolutely fascinating to people watch at the movies when this comes out. I'm going to the first showing opening day just so I can see the crowd, even if I don't have a ticket. So if you think I was being a little sneaky with the first one and how it's coming to streaming, you are going to think I'm the worst for the second one. But it's interesting and I wanted to share it. And it's sort of the antithesis of what I'm talking about. But again, it's fascinating and they have a cult following and I'm going to stop rambling and just talk about what it is. It's The Selection by Kiera Cass. And it could be coming to Netflix. It could. I'll explain after the summary. For 35 girls, the selection is a chance of a lifetime, the opportunity to escape the life laid out for them since birth, to be swept up in the world of glittering gowns and priceless jewels, to live in a palace and compete for the heart of gorgeous Prince Maxon. But for America's singer, being selected is a nightmare. It means turning her back on her secret love with Aspen, who is a cast below her. 
leaving her home to enter a fierce competition for a crown she doesn't want. Aw, poor girl. Then America meets Prince Maxon. Gradually, she starts to question all the plans she's made for herself and realizes that the life she's always dreamed of may not compare to the future she never imagined. The selection was published in April 2012, and it's the first of five books. It has a very loyal, very fierce fan base. One could even argue that it's intimidating. They stay sharp. They stay on their P's and Q's because a lot of people are haters of the selection. And also they have been heartbroken time after time after time. I have not read the selection. It is not personally a book that I think I would enjoy. The cover also really irritates me. I don't know why. Maybe it doesn't irritate me. That's the wrong thing to say. It just doesn't draw me in. I see it everywhere, especially when I was reading more YA novels. I was like, the selection, the selection, the selection, Red Queen, Cinder. Like, it's all the same fucking things in the same cycle. But it never really drew me in. It seems very similar to other books I've read. And the romance does not intrigue me at all. The competition doesn't intrigue me. But I do think that this will be a successful TV show if it becomes a TV show. And that's where things get a little confusing and very, very, very heartbreaking for fans. The first thing to note is that the CW had two attempts to make this happen. There was a pilot in 2012 and in 2013. I actually read the script for the pilot and I definitely felt like it was something that people would enjoy. Again, it didn't seem like it was up my alley as a book, but reading the pilot actually made me more intrigued to read this series. I don't know. I don't think it got the green light because if you look at the CW at the time, sci-fi didn't really seem like it would do well. At least not dystopian sci-fi. At that time, there was Supernatural, and yes, that was sci-fi, but a different kind of sci-fi. And 90210 and Gossip Girl, those were the hyped up shows. And I don't think the viewers that the CW already had would be excited about the selection. After those pilots failed, the rights were then moved to Warner Brothers in 2015 before now being with Netflix. Yes, I said Netflix. Variety reported that the selection would be going to Netflix in April 2020. And the author, Kiera Cass, was actually blogging about Netflix's adaptation. Alongside the announcement, she said things look good. And she also preemptively answered some questions that fans had. She was like, I don't know anything about casting. I don't have any idea when the release date is, but I'm stupid excited. Then in November of 2020, Kiera Cass gave a small update and said she has no new news on the movie. And I think I forgot to mention that Netflix picked it up for a movie, not a TV show. And I think based off everything I've seen, obviously I haven't read it, but I'd much rather this be a show than a movie. I think there's a lot of information that's packed in, but I mean, you take what you can get, right? Anyways, Kara Cass gave an update in November 2020 saying she does not have any news on the movie and said things have slowed down for the time being, but as soon as there are updates, I will pass them along. A year after that update, Kira posted on Twitter saying that things look to be moving forward, but also said that the ball was in Netflix's court, so I don't understand how that's moving forward. One of the producers had to clarify what that tweet meant, and the clarification just made it so much more confusing. He was like, we have the script, we just need Netflix to greenlight it. So how exactly is that moving forward? I don't, I don't understand. He also added that all we can do is push, and by push, he also meant the fans need to push. And this definitely charged up the fandom, and they are a force. Props to them. They want this shit made. 
There is literally a fake IMDb page, and there's a massive campaign to get this film made. So what exactly happened between getting picked up to things moving forward to now the ball being in Netflix's court? Well, we probably won't know. I think Kiara got very excited, completely understandable, especially when you've been waiting so long for this to be made and you just want to give your fans something to hold on to. You want to give them some good news. I totally get it. But I do believe some things were said prematurely. And the rights to a story can be picked up and never be used, if that makes sense. Like that book Red Rising, I don't know if we'll ever get a movie or a show. I hope we do because I love that book. It was picked up by Universal. And what have we seen? Not a damn thing. It's probably super fucking expensive to make. Like you have to make Red Rising right. Such a fantastic book. I can't wait to see it though. Whether it's a show, a movie, I don't give a shit. I need to see the dance, damn it. If you know, you know. But anywho, there was never any casting done for the selection. Obviously, this is not in production yet, but I do think that it will happen. So I wanted to share it. I thought it was an interesting story. I've never heard of a book being put out for two pilots and then picked up for a movie on Netflix and then never hearing about it again. And also the power of the fans, I think, will make this happen. There is a Twitter account with a very large following, like something like 80,000. And they have done some casting campaigns and they actually got a response from Netflix. Like, why would Netflix even bother? You know, I do think they see the opportunity to capitalize on this huge fan base. And why would they let that slide? You made the fucking fate wink saga, but you won't make the selection. Nobody fucking asked for the wink saga. Who fucking asked for that? Nobody, nobody. And it's shit. Next, we have much more promising news, even if it's been a long, wild process. And that's Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. The world is divided by blood, red or silver. The reds are commoners ruled by a silver elite in possession of godlike superpowers. And to Mare Barrow, a 17-year-old red girl from the poverty-stricken stilts, it seems like nothing will ever change. That is until she finds herself working in the Silver Palace. Here, surrounded by the people she hates the most, Mare discovers that despite her red blood, she possesses a deadly power of her own, one that threatens to destroy the balance of power. Fearful of Mare's potential, the Silvers hide her in plain view, dubbing her a long-lost Silver Princess, now engaged to a Silver Prince. Despite knowing that one misstep would mean her death, Mare works silently to help the Red Guard, a militant resistance group, and bringing down the Silver Regime. But this is a world of betrayal and lies, and Mare has entered a dangerous dance. Reds against Silvers, Prince against Prince, and Mare against her own heart. Red Queen, the entire series actually, has been my guilty pleasure. Do I think it's the most unique book in the entire world? No, obviously not. Is the drama and romance and dialogue over the top and dramatic and a bit corn? Yes. But I don't know, man. I read this a couple years ago in a really bad place. Oh my God. Actually, I can remember exactly when I read it. I was on vacation leave from work. Seven days. I had not had more than two days off in fucking I don't even know how long at that time. I took seven days. I deleted practically all the social media from my phone. I was so depressed. All I wanted to do was read because, you know, that happens when you're sad and you're down. You just want to escape in books. Take me to another world. And I discovered Red Queen and I blew through it. I did literally nothing but draw, write, and read Red Queen. The entire series. That was all I did. So it has a special place in my heart because I escaped to it at a time where I desperately needed an escape. 
And Victoria Aveyard is also a mass hole like me, so we love her even more. Even if she jumped ship from Massachusetts to California, that's okay, girl. We still love you. Red Queen is currently in development at Peacock, which I think is so cool. And it's going to be a one hour drama series. I did get a bit freaked out when I read a few articles because they were referring to it as a potential series, but also everyone's talking about it as if it's actually coming. But obviously with the selection, we know that, yeah, that shit can happen. People can speak prematurely, but based off everything I've seen with Victoria and I've followed her for years, ever since I read the book on Instagram, She's pretty tight-lipped, like she won't say something's happening unless something is happening. And I think it will grab a really crucial market for Peacock. It's a loyal, loyal fandom, an international fandom. And when it inevitably does well, there are so many places they could take it because there's the Red Queen series. Yes, I believe there's four books, if I'm not mistaken. And then she also has these spinoff series, like these mini stories about other characters. And those are fantastic. You could have spinoffs. The opportunities are just endless. The longevity and the loyalty are there on a platter, Peacock, NBC, whoever. Take it. None of this potential bullshit. The show is coming. With it being in such early potential stages, we don't know when it could be released. And things have already been shifted and changed so much. From what I understand, and I could be wrong, I could be mistaken on this, this was supposed to be a film. And I remember because Elizabeth Banks, who is still on board, thank God, to direct and co-star in it. That was big news. It was announced on like major media and it was the Red Queen movie. And then it moved hands, which, you know, it happens, but it's taken a very long time. But if I had to guess, if I had to, if NBC hauled ass on this, I think a massive launch for winter 2023 would be perfect. I say this with absolutely zero credentials and, you know, no knowledge. So take that with a grain of salt. But I think winter 2023, that's where my bets are. Before this next book that we are going to discuss even hit shelves, it was optioned for a film. That is all that really needs to be said. How fucking insane is that? The book is The Upper World by Femi Fadugba, and it's currently in the works at Netflix with Oscar winner Daniel Kaluuya attached to star and produce. Let me give you the Goodreads summary. Today, during arguably the worst week of Esso's life, an accident knocks him into an incredible world, a place beyond space or time, where he can see glimpses of the past and future. But if what he sees there is true, he might not have much longer to live, unless he can use his new gift to change the course of history. Tomorrow, Raya or Rhea, I don't know exactly, I'm going to say Raya. Raya's past is filled with questions, none of which she expects a new physics tutor to answer. But Dr. Esso is not here to help Raya. He's here because he needs her help to unravel a tragedy that happened 15 years ago. One that holds the key to not only Raya's past, but to a future worth fighting for. Let me tell you right now, Fadugba has an incredible and impressive history. He has a master's from Oxford University where he published in quantum physics and was a Thoron scholar at UPenn. The Togo-born British Nigerian has previously written for the Financial Times and Huffington Post. He said he was inspired to write his debut novel while he was at university. He was writing a quantum physics paper that was published in the same journal that Einstein was published in, by the way. Didn't I say this dude was impressive? Like, unreal. 
He ended up receiving a national award for it and ended up giving a speech at the House of Commons where he received the award. On that very same night, he went home to Peckham, a district in South London. I was very confused. It said Peckham, London, England. And I was like, I thought London was a city, but it's just a really big city with parts of it. That makes sense, right? But anyway, when he got home to Peckham, he saw a crime scene taped off. A very young kid, maybe 15 years old, was stabbed. It really dawned on him that a 20-minute bus ride separated those two completely separate worlds. I got goosebumps when I read about him coming to this realization. And as soon as I read that, I bought the book. I was like, yep, done. Bought it. Got it. Ready for it. Say no more. Fadukba lived in various places throughout his life, like Philadelphia, Somerset, Oxford, and Kigali, and always wondered how he could reconcile these contrasting environments and how he could make tough questions in his life add up like the equations he's used to. He said, quote, One day came a mad realization that I could combine the story of a kid from South London with the physics of time travel and maybe even make it gripping enough that the nerds, the hustlers, and the jocks, and the rest of us in between, would all want to read it and would all get it. It seems like this novel was an extremely cathartic experience for him, and I love that. I knew absolutely nothing about this author before researching for this episode, and I've already fallen in love with him. What a life, what a story. Now that I have purchased it, I can't wait to read it and see how he took that experience and extracted it and translated it into a novel. As I mentioned, Daniel Kaluuya is attached to produce and star as Esso, who is at the center of the story. Netflix seems to be very passionate about this project and they, I just feel it in my bones, they are going to make this huge. There's going to be a crazy marketing campaign and maybe could this be an Oscar contender? Am I reaching? Am I crazy? I don't know. Possibly. All I can say is I think they are going to take this extremely seriously and invest heavily in it. There is already a synopsis for the film, so I wanted to share that as well, even though I shared the book summary. Esso is caught in a deadly feud and on the verge of expulsion when he realizes he has an unexpected gift, access to a world where he can see glimpses of the past and the future. A generation away, Raya is walking to football practice in 2035, unaware that the mysterious stranger she's about to meet desperately needs her help to avert a bullet fired 15 years ago. And to end, I wanted to share what Fadugba had to say about the deal with Netflix. With Netflix bringing the film adaptation to audiences around the world, I'm excited about the impact the story can have. I'd love to one day see teachers putting the book on their summer reading lists. I'd love to help create a world where when people talk about the new Cardi B song, they mention the ideas in the upper world as a part of the culture as well. I do believe that that is going to be the reality for Fadugba. I am telling you, this is going to be big. Keep your eyes peeled for it. Thank you so much for listening in today. I know this episode wasn't super long, but I really wanted to make it. And I know I've been putting out a lot of long stuff, so I want to give you a little baby one too to balance it out. As I said in the intro, this is the season finale. Season four will be back at the end of February. Be sure to follow the pod on Instagram at NCQH podcast to find out the exact day because I'm not entirely sure yet. I think after the season finale of Euphoria, because I'm going to need to discuss that, I'll probably talk about everything that I was slash will be watching because there's so much and I'm just going to fucking dump it all on you. 
In addition to the pod's Instagram, you can follow my personal Instagram as well at L-E-A-A underscore M-A-R-Z and my TikTok L-E-A-M-A-R-Z-Z. Today, I would like to spotlight the Equal Justice Initiative. The Equal Justice Initiative is committed to ending mass incarceration and excessive punishment, to challenging racial and economic injustice, and to protecting basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in American society. EJI provides legal representation to people who have been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prisons. They challenge the death penalty and excessive punishment and provide reentry assistance to formerly incarcerated people. EJI produces groundbreaking reports, an award-winning calendar, and short films that explore our nation's history of racial injustice. All of that can be found on their website, EJI.org. EJI also developed and operates the Legacy Museum, from enslavement to mass incarceration and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, as part of their national effort to create new spaces, markers, and memorials that address the legacy of slavery, lynching, and racial segregation, which shapes many issues today. A million more thank yous. Stay caffeinated these next few weeks. Stay streaming. Stay strong. Focus on your mental health. Focus on your well-being. That's what I'm doing. Don't forget to take your medication. Cuddle all of the animals. Wash behind your ears. And don't miss me too much. 